6.30 Chad Afternoons with Jalen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 6.30 Chad. Well, earlier this week, Alberta's top court agreed to have an 18-year prison sentence imposed on a woman who had pleaded guilty to killing her abusive husband. The 18-year sentence was among the longest in Canadian history for an abused woman and who killed her husband, and longer than many sentences imposed on men who kill their intimate partners. So here's the background. In 2011, Helen Naslin shot her husband twice in the back of the head while he was passed out. Um, this came after about 27 years of abuse. It happened on their farm near Holden, Alberta. An agreed statement of facts said Miles Nasland had been a had had a domineering pattern of abuse against his wife. In 2020, she pleaded guilty to manslaughter and was sentenced to 18 years. But this week, the appeal court said the sentence, the sentencing judge didn't properly consider the domestic abuse that Nasland suffered over the course of her marriage. Justice Sheila Greckel called the sentence dramatically unfit and a product of outdated thinking on violence against women. Alberta Senator Paula Simons has followed this case for years. In fact, she's spoken passionately about this case and the need for amendments to the laws around mandatory minimum sentencing. This was a presentation she gave to the Senate about a year ago. Of course, we wish to denounce murder and protect our community by imposing stiff sentences on those who commit such a heinous crime. But not all murders are the same, and not all murderers are the same either. Does a battered woman such as Helen Nasland, who shot her husband after an evening of threats and violence, really deserve the same sort of sentence as a misogynist serial killer like a Robert Picton or Paul Bernardo or Russell Williams? The same sentence as a racist mass murderer such as Alexandre Bissonnette? As I said during my previous speech on mandatory minimum sentences, each murderer is different, and every murder is its own unique story. I should mention that that was just a, a portion, just a clip from a presentation, about an eight-minute presentation that Senator Simons uh, gave to the Senate, uh, other senators, uh, about a year ago. Senator Simons joining us now. Welcome back to 6.30, Chad. It's lovely to speak with you again, Jalen. Uh, you know what, as we've been uh, following this and you've been following this case for a long time, uh, you, you gave a passionate speech and just heard part of that on, on mandatory minimum sentences what, last year in the Senate. Do you believe there's been some justice with the appeal court's decision this week? There has been some justice in the sense that an 18-year sentence has been cut down to nine years. And with good behavior, uh, Mrs. Nasland will spend probably less than that time in prison. Will there ever be justice for what she suffered in years and years of abuse in a marriage and in the time that she's already spent uh, incarcerated and, and under, you know, with the prospect of spending, you know, functionally most of the rest of her life in prison? I mean, I don't know that anything will ever uh, compensate for the trauma that she's undergone, but I do think that the Court of Appeal came to the right decision. It was not an easy decision to make because the test to overturn the sentence is extremely high. It's important, I think, that listeners understand that this sentence was a compromise agreed to by both the Crown and Ms. Naslin's original attorneys, in part because she had been originally charged with first-degree murder, which has a mandatory sentence of life in prison. 
And so even her lawyer agreed to this 18-month sentence for manslaughter because it was better than life in prison. So the test for the Court of Appeal was extremely high. They had to find that this sentence shocked the public's consciousness and brought the uh, brought the administration of justice into disrepute. That's an extremely high test, and I think it's one of the reasons it was not a unanimous decision, but the majority uh, agreed with Madam Justice Greco, and I think that this has gone some way to finding some rough justice in this terrible tragedy. In your speech uh, to the Senate, you said um, that the original sentence was the latest example of, of how mandatory minimum sentences distort our justice system. They undermine the independence of the judiciary and undercut authority. Can you expand on that, Paula? Sure. I mean, I think we all have this fear somehow that people are going to get away with things. And so over the course of decades, both conservative and liberal governments have put more and more mandatory minimum sentences into the criminal code, which really tie the hands of the judges who hear the cases. I mean, you've been a reporter for years. I've been a re- I was a reporter for years. When you sit in a courtroom and you actually listen to the evidence, you have a much better sense of what's happened than you're ever going to get reading a short newspaper story or listening to a, ne- a short radio report. Judges are trained jurists with lots of legal experience who listen to every part of the trial, and then we are supposed to trust them to make the right decisions, to decide the fit sentence, to, you know, in the words of Gilbert and Sullivan, make the punishment fit the crime. If we put more and more mandatory sentences Mm. into our criminal code, we make it harder and harder for judges to make the right decisions of each individual case. And so, you know, I have, when I joined the Senate three years ago, I was really inspired to see that I had more senior Senate colleagues, specifically Senator Mabina Jaffer, who is from British Columbia, and Senator Kim Pate from Ontario, who have made the abolition of mandatory minimum sentences. They're, they're a great passion project. And so when I've spoken in the Senate, I've, spoke, I've made two speeches on this subject. Both times I was speaking in support of bills that were put forward by Senator Pate. Uh, now Senator Jaffer has a new bill that she presented to the Senate just a couple of weeks ago, Bill S-213, which is, again, to eliminate mandatory minimum sentences. We keep trying and trying and trying. Um, and eventually, uh, we hope that there will be enough examples that people can see that these sentences are often grotesque miscarriages of justice. So, Senator Simons, you, you talk about keep trying and trying and trying. You know, the, the, the previous one was Bill, I think, S-207, which was uh, in hopes of, uh, of changing those mandatory minimum sentencing uh, as well. Now this new one, I think you said S-213. Are, is, it, is it time running out? Is there a lack of political will to change this? Why did, do they keep fizzling out? Let's put it that way. Well, the last two bills both died on the order paper because they were elections called. And so, you know, this is the thing. This is the thing I learned about. You know, when when I was a reporter, I would write a piece. It would be in the newspaper the next day, and then I would go on to the next thing. The Senate is not like that. And um, and Senators Jaffer and Pate have been working on this issue for years. Sometimes they're overtaken by political events beyond their control. But let's be honest. It's really hard for elected politicians. Uh, in the House of Commons to support this because it sounds like you're soft on crime. It sounds like, you know, and so it is the prerogatives of senators who are appointed who don't have to worry quite so much about offending public opinion to say, you know what, this is unconstitutional. 
I think the government knows that some of these mandatory minimum sentences are unconstitutional. And, you know, the government keeps talking about bringing forward a bill that will eliminate some mandatory minimum sentences. But I think it's it's simpler in the Senate for us to see this issue without worrying about voter blowback. And so, um, you know, Senator Jaffer has spoken in support of her new bill. I hope to be speaking in support of it uh, later this spring. It's difficult. I've given two really impassioned speeches I was really proud of. Um, and so you think, okay, what examples do I use now? Unfortunately, um, uh, I regret to say that there are examples that keep coming up. You know, I, oftentimes on, on, on this show, and I think probably every radio talk show across the country, we, we hear about sentencing, whether it's too lenient or it's too tough. I mean, it, it's, it seems to me that um, Canadians want to find uh, a better, like more of a common ground on this. And, and maybe, this is, maybe this is the start towards it if we, if we trust the judges to look at uh, each case and the, and the very delicate nuances of each case, maybe some of those sentences might be more reflective of what we would expect them to be. I would hope so. You know, if we can't trust our judges, then we have a much bigger problem. Because yeah. if you're going to have mandatory minimum sentences for so many crimes, and not just for murder, but for all different kinds of crimes, yeah. um, then you might as well just uh, have an algorithm and a robot. You know, you put you put all the facts of the case into the computer, and the computer whirs and, and hisses and comes out with an unbiased, unprejudiced sentence based on all the facts. We we could have a court system like that. I mean, it sounds like something out of a Star Trek episode, but sure, we could we could have a system where we just put all the facts on the chart and let the algorithm decide the proper sentence. But. We rely on human judgment and human insight. If we have bad judges who are making bad rulings, then we have another problem we need to address. You know, uh, Ronna Ambrose a couple of years ago had a bill that finally, in 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 a you know changed fashion, was passed uh, in the last sitting of Parliament to have mandatory training about. Uh, you know, the, the um, prejudices and myths about sexual assault victims. And that yes. came in part from the decisions of some very questionable decisions by some Alberta judges in sex assault trials. Um, you know, one of the challenges we face in this country, and I've spoken about this in the Senate too, is that it used to be in the olden days that if you were a lawyer, you had a wide general practice. And if you got put on the bench, you could hear all kinds of cases. But oftentimes, you know, we have judges on the bench who perhaps spent their entire career doing civil tax law, you know, uh, civil litigation, and suddenly they're hearing murder trials and they haven't spent a career in the criminal bar. And so I think what we want to have is an independent judiciary of accomplished, educated judges who have the training and the skills and the expertise to make decisions. If we don't have that, we need to fix that problem, not hamstring and tie the hands of, of the judges who are doing their job well. Senator Simons, we'll leave it there this afternoon. It's been great to talk with you again. I appreciate you making time for us today. Thank you for this. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Senator Paula Simons joining us this afternoon as we talk about mandatory minimum sentences and the push for change on that front.